0: have a handout for the sermon this morning. It has the outline on it, has the scriptures on the inside. if you'd like to look at those. we've begun a trip through the book of Titus. Glad you could be here with us this morning to worship the Lord. who is good. He is the God of our circumstances, and he is faithful. he is unchanging so we can trust him. In the midst of our circumstances. Titus was left by Paul on the island of Crete. Now, Crete was an interesting place. It was a society that took pride in deception. They took pride in deception. In fact, uh, one commentary says this. In Paul's day, the derogatory term "Cretanize" was used to refer to a liar. So this whole island is known for being liars. In fact, the Cretans claimed that Zeus was buried somewhere on their island. Now, we know that Zeus is not a true god, but at least in that day, I imagine the conversation went something like this when somebody landed on the island. And they said, ah, welcome, sir, to our island of Crete. Did you know that this is the graveyard of Zeus, and the person would go, Z- Zeus, you mean the immortal, undying God? Yeah, yeah, him. His grave's on the island. And then just continue on fiercely in that until 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 the, the guy goes back to his family and goes, Hey, did you know Zeus is buried in Crete? A Cretan would be somebody that would be proud of the fact that they tried to sell you oceanfront property in El Paso. Or a vacation package to the ski resort in Rio Grande City. They were known for their deception. And in a society that takes pride in deception, how can you tell if someone is genuine? The Apostle Paul has tasked Titus with the job of finding multiple elders for each church in Crete. It says there in verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. But in a society so proud of deception, how can you tell if someone is genuine? How do you know that they are an upstanding Christian that they claim to be? How in the world is Titus going to find qualified pastors for a church on an island whose name is synonymous with lying? Well, Paul gives some instruction to help. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For as an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. As a steward of God's household, elders must be above reproach reproach the word means blameless paul wants titus to find men whose life and character reflect well upon god and uh, if we go ahead and turn to the next slide paul is going to argue in verses 5 through 9 of verse 1 of chapter 1 that a healthy church needs a plurality of qualified elders who as god's stewards must demonstrate good stewardship in their home over themselves And with the Word of God. This morning we're going to focus on their stewardship in their home. On an island of deceivers, you can fool some people, but you can't fool your family. As a steward of God's people, an overseer must steward his own home well. And I want you to understand this morning that as a Christian, you need pastors who oversee their homes well. First, we see in relation to his wife in chapter one, verse six, he is the husband of one wife. A qualified elder is a one woman man. Now, this passage has been greatly debated, but the plain meaning is clear. Certainly, polygamy and bigamy are forbidden. Now, as we look at other questions raised by this passage, the key to remember is that an elder is to be above reproach and blameless. So certainly he's not to be a ladies man. When considering a man to be a pastor, you don't want to put the women of the church at risk. So that's where we begin. Now, the question, question, many questions come up and we have to ask ourselves, are exceptions allowable? Well, certainly not for multiple wives. OK, certainly not for that. No exceptions there. But we we can say that there is a possibility that there would be other exceptions. When Paul wrote to the church at Crete, it was meant specifically for them. Now, we can say what he we can ask the question. Well, what he wrote specifically to them is it for them only, or is it for all churches, or is some of the thing are some of the things specific, and other things can be generalized for all churches everywhere. I hope you're going to see this morning that we have a mixture of specific commands for the church at Crete, which have biblical principles that apply for all churches. Cretans were deceivers, so hard evidence was vital. A verbal testimony wasn't good enough. A man who had led his family well would be needed to help lead other families well in honoring God in their homes in this society of Crete. Where their name is synonymous with lying. So for some societies that may be similar to Crete, these specific commands will apply. However, other societies may have some exceptions that apply. Let's consider this in regards to marriage first. Then we'll look at some questions about the children. Okay, on to the first question. Can a single man be an elder? What if he's never been married? Uh, one commentator said this, if Paul had meant that the elder must be married, he would have said uh, or the reading would have been a wife, not one wife. So he's he's wanting the the pastor here to be he must be the husband of only one living woman. So can a single man be an elder? Well, is it a reproach for a man to be single I don't believe so. We see in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 6 through 9, that being single is actually commendable, uh, especially by Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6, he says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself, which he is single. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, this is in a letter in Corinthians that is to a society that's known for sin. To be called a Corinthian was to be called a sinner. But he commends singleness. He himself was single. Singleness is not a reproachable status. It's commendable. So I believe a single man can be an elder if he's above reproach. In other words, he's not this womanizer running around with multiple women. He's keeping himself for the Lord. But why not in Crete? Well, in a society known for deception, it'd be very hard to tell whether a man was abstaining from sex as a single man. He would lie and his dalliances would be willing to lie for him as well. Thus, we have the requirement here that he be married. But I do believe it is possible for a single man to be an elder. Next question. What about a man who's been divorced? And what if he's been remarried? It's a little more complex situation. In fact, it would need to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. The key factor being above reproach. Remember, we don't want any reproach to be brought upon God's Word. Did the divorce occur before he became a Christian? Well, then he might be qualified. What if it happened after he was a Christian? Well, probably not. But there are certain circumstances. We don't become perfect. Right. Was was he to blame for the divorce or did his wife commit adultery on him? Was he abusive? Has he been remarried? The Bible doesn't forbid remarriage, so that shouldn't bring reproach. But, you know, maybe he was remarried recently and hasn't had time really to show whether he's a one woman man. So can a divorced man be a pastor? Depends. Depends on the situation. I know one pastor was on his third wife, and a couple of them he had got while being a pastor. I mean, it's just not a good testimony. The other ones were still living, by the way. So, it's possible, but somewhat improbable. Now the question comes, what about a widower? Does he have to have a wife? If a pastor's wife passes away, must he resign? Some believe this. I do not. Again, singleness is commended by Paul. Now, if he begins to behave in an unseemly manner while dating or if he marries an unsaved woman, then he's going to need to step down. He is breaking the Scriptures. But being a widower or remarried after his wife passes away is not something that brings reproach on God's Word. But certainly we can say here a qualified pastor should be a one-woman man. But isn't that something that All Christian men should aspire to be. It's not like the married men in here who aren't pastors just have the freedom to say, hey, let's get a divorce this afternoon or let's go get more marriages or anything like that. No, all married Christian men should be one woman, one woman men. So as a steward of God's people and overseer must steward his own home well. He needs to be a one-woman man. He needs to be faithful to his wife. Next, we look at the qualification for the elder's children in verse 6. It says his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. The first one we look at here is that they should be believers. Now, this should be a goal for all Christian parents, that our children be believers. Malachi 2.15 says this, Did God not make them, that's the husband and wife, one, with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. And in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul wants Titus to find men on Crete whose children are believers, but that raises a question, doesn't it? Do they have to be believers? Here I think we have something that's specific towards Crete because of the deceptiveness of the island. So on Crete we have this thing do the do the potential elders' children buy into the gospel message their dad is putting on display in the home? This would be important on an island of deceivers. It would reveal the genuineness of the father's testimony. But the question becomes, do we control our children's salvation? No, we certainly don't. God has to do the saving, doesn't he? Don't we all wish that we could make our children be saved? But we can't. It's in God's hands. If we look at another culture, let's look over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. I have that on the back of your handout there. Other scriptures that are relevant. I put the whole section on elders from 1 Timothy. But if you look at 1 Timothy 3, 4, it speaks about his home. It says he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So, over in First Timothy, the requirement is submissiveness, and that would be the more hard-fast rule for all elders in all congregations. It accords with the requirements of not being charged with debauchery or insubordination. As human parents, we don't control when our children are saved. It's God who must save them, but we can train them to be submissive to authorities. So, I don't believe that a pastor's children must be saved in all instances. This makes logical sense if you think about it. Now, I'm going to give you a, a, a what if, but it's got, it's got two, two, two scenarios, okay? Number one, let's say that Kim and I had a bonus baby. That's scenario number one. And scenario number two is, and I survive, okay? she doesn't kill me cuz she's a good christian woman she knows murder's wrong okay so so we have another child is that child saved no do i need to step down no right so we we have to kind of think about the full picture of what's going on so do his children have to be saved on Crete they did because of the deception maybe in other societies that are like Crete You would want to look for that in an elder. Otherwise, if he has children, they pretty much toe the line. You know, they they are submissive. Well, then, yes, that fits more with the 1 Timothy 3 model. Another question that comes up, what if his kids reject the faith after leaving home? What if his kids reject the faith after leaving home? Well, in 1 Timothy 3, 4, it says he must manage his own household well. And I would say that once a child leaves the home, they become their own household and they become responsible for their own decisions, right? So I think if they deconstruct their faith or reject the faith or whatever, uh, one of those scenarios, I don't think that necessarily disqualifies a pastor from the pastorate. Because while they were in the home, they were submissive. They said they were believers, but then they left and fell away. Okay? So, a couple scenarios there. And please, if you've got questions or you disagree with me, please send me an email, send me a text, call me. We can talk. Love to talk to you about it. But let's look on at these further requirements, which I think are hard, fast requirements for every pastor of every church. It says they should not be accusable of debauchery or insubordination. Now, debauchery, that's not a word that we use too often times, but I did hear it once uh, prior to the pandemic. They were interviewing a guy that rented buildings out during spring break uh, at uh, South Padre Island. And uh, he he was being interviewed about this, and he and they were talking the the show that I was watching was about spring breaks and that type of thing and how that they get students to recruit other people. But this guy made this statement. He said, "I am a purveyor of debauchery," and I sure hope that he repents before he has to stand before the Lord and make an account for that statement. But a purveyor of debauchery. Debauchery means reckless abandon. It's it's wild living. If his children are displaying a lack of self-control and a great desire to fulfill their sinful passions, then that's an indication that they don't see their parents finding joy in the gospel. And they are rejecting that. They're going to live for themselves. Therefore, that man would not be qualified to be a pastor. So his children should not be accusable of wild living or living with reckless abandon. And then they should not be accusable of insubordination. It means refusing to submit to authority. They need to obey their parents. Okay, And that's going to be important. It's, it's, we're going to see it down in Titus one ten that the the elders are going to have to deal with a bunch of people who are insubordinate. Paul says there are many who are insubordinate. And so the dad is dealing with insubordinate children, or he's making sure his children are not insubordinate, and that's important because he's going to have to deal with people who are insubordinate. recently heard one pastor say, he said, uh, he says, you know, we never really stop being teenagers. We just age out of the label. And Brother Eddie likes to say, not all the babies are in the nursery. Okay? In other words, the pastor has to show himself faithful in his home. Why? Because God is going to make him the steward of his home, his people, his children, who sometimes act like kids. And so the, the home is a proving ground. Of these things. So insubordination. Now, there can be indications here. And I think it's why it's important on this island of Crete where deception is so great. Uh, Many times children refuse to submit to authority for one of two reasons. Number one, they reject their parents upbringing because they see their parents as hypocrites, which would be very important on the island of Crete, right? Because if they're deceiving people. To reject their parents upbringing because they see their parents as hypocrites now I want to be careful here this is this is these are not hard fast rules okay I know some some of you may have children who have run away from the Lord we, we we all have to make a decision at some point right and they're going to stand before God for their decision but as we look for pastors especially on the island of Crete, we have to look at these things but then another reason that children will reject Authority is that they learned to buck authority by watching their parents reject authority by their actions. They've watched their parents complain all the time about the authority that God has placed them under. And so I would challenge the parents here, if you complain about your employers, your pastors, your politicians, and your children's teachers and coaches and whoever else is in authority, if you do all that complaining in front of your kids then you are teaching them to question and reject authority in their own lives. You are coming across as the only person that really knows how everybody needs to live their lives. And so they're learning from you that the only expert on how they should live their life is themselves. And so they buck authority at every turn. And again, these requirements, I believe, are not just for the Cretan church. These are requirements for every church's elders, because... Again, the family dynamic of a church, you learn how to train your children to not live wild lives and you train them to submit to authority because you're going to have to do the same thing with the Christians who come in to the church. So an elder's children should not be accusable of wild living and insubordination. Now, we have some questions that come up about elders and kids. For instance, does an elder have to have kids? What if he doesn't have any? Well, reproach, again, is the issue. Not having kids is not sinful. Not having kids is not sinful. Some couples cannot have children for various reasons. It's not a disqualification for being a pastor. So they may not have kids. If they do, they need to not be... Accused of wild living and insubordination. What if an existing elder's kids start living wild and become insubordinate? Now, again, this is outside the home, right? When they get outside the home, they make their own decisions. And and I can remember when our kids finally moved out of the house, there was just a sense, a little sense of relief. Like, you know? It's not that I was glad they were gone. Don't get, don't get me wrong on that. I love our kids. And, uh, and I'm very proud of our kids. Uh, God has blessed us wonderfully. But if, while they're still in the home and they begin to live wild lives and become insubordinate, reproach is the issue, right? If their behavior brings reproach on the pastor and on God's word, and, and, and that reproach is leaking out into the community, While they're still in his home, then he should step down. The home is a proving ground for pastors. So as a steward of God's people, an overseer must steward his own home well. Now, as we sit here this morning, you're like, man, pastor, I have no desire to be a pastor. What's what's in this for me? Well, I want you to understand this morning, we are a society that is very... Easily influenced. Okay? We are influenced. We are influenced by what we see on the television. We are influenced by what we see on social media and online and bloggers and everything else. All these things are influencers in our lives. And in fact, we have social media influencers. That's their title is to influence you to buy some product or to think some way. And now we're seeing political ads all over the place. What are they trying to do? They're trying to influence you to vote a certain way. The things that Paul instructed Titus to look for here in this passage are observational. They're observational qualities and characteristics. These qualities must be seen and they have to be observed over time. Virtual church doesn't allow you to observe a man and his family. Online personalities and Christian influencers cannot be observed and evaluated by you. Televangelists, you don't see their homes. You don't see their lifestyles. It's the same for TV, for radio, Internet, all media. You only see what they curate for you. You only see what they want you to see. We can be easily deceived by online and media people. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting instruction from other pastors and Christians who are not in your church. I mean, I read books and, and articles and different things written by different pastors, but they're not the authorities in my life. Your pastors need to be the ones that you give the most weight to. They are the ones that you have covenanted in membership to be led by. Your church is who you have covenanted to, to oversee your Christian growth. And it can't happen from behind a computer in your home. You can't oversee others and they can't oversee you. Now, listen, sometimes we see things on social media. Pastor Tad and I go, oh, well, maybe we need to have a conversation with someone. Because your bad thoughts are spilling out for the world to see. But as we look at pastors, you can't observe the fruit in their lives in the good times and the bad. You can't do that with media personalities. And so, as you consider elders and you consider who you're going to submit to, keep in mind, you need to observe. You need to observe. Now, before we make some further applications, I want to talk here for just a moment to those of you here. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You're not saved. I want to just speak to you that Christ is a king and he has a greater kingdom. It's a greater kingdom than even the United States of America, which I think the United States is the greatest country in the world. But we're not perfect and it's not God's kingdom. God's kingdom is the greatest kingdom ever. And he is the greatest king. And when we gather here at church, we are to represent our king. And as we go out into the world, we're to represent our king. We are his ambassadors representing his kingdom. But in order to be a part of his kingdom and to have Christ as your king, you need to repent of your sins and commit to following the Savior who died for your sins. What a king we serve as Christians. He saw our helpless, sinful state. I was reading this morning in Romans. Paul writes, he says, For I know that it, that in me, that in my flesh, dwells no good thing. We are utterly helpless to be good before God. And yet, while we were... Weak, ungodly sinners who were enemies of God. God showed His love for us, for His enemies. And that He died for our sins. Christ died for us. So that if you will repent of your sins and place your faith in the Savior, God will join you to Him. And His death pays for your sins. And His righteousness becomes yours. And you will be saved. And then you can come into His kingdom and be a part of his church, and represent his rule and his reign wherever you go. So if you're here this morning and you've never done that, I encourage you, please, today, repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. But for the Christians here this morning, what can we gather from this passage on searching for qualified pastors? Someone has said the remarkable thing about the qualifications for an elder is that they are unremarkable. Every Christian family should seek to have a home like this. And so, pastors are to be an example. These qualifications are an example to us. Christ was never married. but Well, he's married to the church. But he was never married while on earth. So we have this representation of what it is to be Christ-like in your home. Raising your children. So... Just a few specific applications here. Wives, focus on supporting your husband and training your children not to live wildly, not to be insubordinate. Point them to Jesus Christ. To the children here, one of the common graces that God gives is the family. So you should submit to the authority of your parents and Your life should not be marked by wild living and insubordination. shouldn't make it hard on your parents. Support them as they seek to point you to Jesus Christ. Some children here, though, don't have Christian parents. I would urge you to submit to them as best you can. Not to do sinful things, but submit to them in what you can. And tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Husbands, I would say that you need to keep your wife secure in your devotion to her. Live Christ before your children so that He is beautiful. So that your children desire to have what you have. A relationship with Christ that is marked by devotion, self-control, and obedience. Every Christian husband should seek to have a home like this. And those who do it well may be considered for the pastorate. For the single folks here this morning, I would tell you to focus on holiness. If you're single, whether you've never been married or you're a widow or a widower, focus on your holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3 through 8 can be your guide. You have a unique opportunity to live a life that is devoted to Christ. And you don't have to worry about the distraction of a spouse. A healthy church needs a plurality of qualified elders who, as God's stewards, must demonstrate good stewardship in their home over themselves and with the word. So as a Christian, you need pastors who oversee their homes well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you transformed the creation society by saving people. And calling them to live under a better king. To serve a God who did die and was buried, but His grave cannot be found because it is empty. Oh, Father, may You be glorified. May Christ be magnified in our lives. And I pray, give us here at Faith Baptist Church qualified elders to lead us. And Father, I pray strengthen the the homes of, of our pastors here. And help us to be living examples. And Father, I pray that our people would strive to have homes, as you have described here, where the children are saved and the wives are secure. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.